welcome to the Pearsfield Oliver podcast. I'm Louise Oliver and I'm joined today by my colleagues Stephen Willis and Matt Rowe. Our topic for discussion is cryptocurrencies. Now before we go into the content, I just want to say that any reference we make to any particular cryptocurrencies today shouldn't be construed as any form of advice to buy. We're merely giving a generic overview to the current landscape. So to set the scene, over the centuries, currency has evolved. Early civilizations may have traded, for example, a pig and a sheep for a cow. The basic principle is that if you have something that someone else wants, you can exchange it for goods and services. An example of early currency were the inhabitants of the Yap Island in Micronesia. They traded ray stones for goods. These are large circular stone discs with a hole in the middle. The idea of the hole in the middle would make it easier to move around. So the rarity of these stones made them valuable and therefore they used them as currency. That was until such time as an explorer sailed to Caesarphore and found more of these ray stones, brought them back to the island and therefore devalued the currency because there were more of them, a bit like an old-fashioned quantitative easing, if you like. So what we need for a functioning economy is sound money. And historically, our currencies have been backed by gold. That was referred to as the gold standard. Now, the gold standard was totally scrapped in 1973, so no longer were our pounds sterling or our US dollars backed by a physical gold, a physical item. So therefore, we were into the realms of having to have faith in our governments and our banking system to back our money. So that's a big ask, isn't it, really? So will cryptocurrencies be the basis for sound money in the future. What was viewed as the Wild West some years ago is now becoming a little bit more interesting. It's certainly gained momentum. The market for cryptocurrencies is now estimated to be worth in excess of a trillion dollars globally. That's massive. So this is clearly something that the financial services industry and the regulators can no longer ignore So today, we'd like to discuss what cryptocurrencies are and how do they work. So over to Stephen. Can you provide us with a bit of background as to why cryptocurrency was created in the first place? Yes, thank you, Lou. Um, Yes, uh, the first and still most recognized uh, cryptocurrency is the Bitcoin. Although, as you said, there there are many now uh, in terms of the availability of different types of cryptocurrency. Um, Bitcoin was first conceived by an individual, Satoshi Nakamoto, in Japan, and he originally developed it as a peer-to-peer electronic cash system back in 2008. And that was largely in response to the systemic failings or collapse of the banking system at that time. You'll recall the collapse of Northern Rock and Lehman Brothers and that spectre of being hours away from ATMs shutting down and people being unable to withdraw money across the globe. Now, this, of course, led to one of the 
deepest recessions on record, which was principally caused by the mismanagement within the global banking sector. And it's this that brought into stark focus our total reliance and perhaps misplaced trust in traditional financial banking systems and reliance on third-party institutions to process our transactions from everything like using a plastic card or cash uh, in uh, online or in shops to buy goods, pay our taxes, make bank transfers, uh, to name but a few. Even today, though, with the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic, there is a growing concern about how central banks and governments worldwide are using money supply for big ticket stimulus packages and how this affects currency values of other assets which may lead to their devaluation. So when Bitcoin as the first cryptocurrency was created, I mean, I should add, uh, it's not a physical coin like a one pound coin as depicted in articles or uh, advertisements. It uses an alternative means of transaction called blockchain that effectively does away with the need for any um, institutions to be involved in the payment process. As I mentioned at the start, it's a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system involving a network of users and clever computer programs to operate an efficient transfer process uh, between the users themselves. Uh, Matt, can you just elaborate on this a bit more? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Stephen. I think probably crypto coins, you know, you've just mentioned that they're not sort of a physical coin. I think they can probably be best described as, as a computer file, uh, really, uh, held on an app uh, called a digital wallet on a computer, a tablet, or a smartphone. And it's these files that are being traded and transferred between users on the network. So coming back to Lou's sort of definition at the start, it's actually these files that are being adopted as the means of payment. So just, just to give you an example, really, of how the peer-to-peer the -peer system works, if Lou and I uh, were both participants on this network and I asked uh, Lou to send me a hundred of her crypto coins, it would actually be another user, maybe Stephen uh, on the network, that would actually have to help verify this transaction. Or another way of putting it, to verify the transfer of ownership of these files from Lou to me. So, you know, again, there's no middleman involved in facilitating the payment. Of course, if, if Lou was to ask me for a bank transfer, you know, the bank would be the middleman who, who needs to verify the transaction. So cryptocurrencies are really completely decentralized. And when you talk about a Bitcoin as a, as a specific cryptocurrency, you need to be participating on that particular blockchain network. Other cryptocurrencies will operate on different networks, but I would say the process is, is, is the same. So Matt, on that basis then, would you agree that it's the technology itself that is quite interesting rather than the actual coins? I mean, it's a good question. Um, I think, you know, the coins, the coins are interesting because, you know, they're, they're brand new. And for someone who works in finance, that's, that's 
you know, that is, of course, interesting, but in itself. Um, but the technology really has got quite wide applications um, because of how the blockchain works, um, and mainly because of the unique verification process um, that I've just sort of uh, briefly mentioned. So just, just to cover um, how the blockchain um, works, if I can <laughs> do this as, as simply as possible, um, effectively every movement of every cryptocurrency coin is recorded on a centralized ledger that is probably, I suppose, best described as a bit like a transaction history in your bank account, except there's one big difference in that it's public available information. Uh, so anybody on the network can, can view that information. And what this ensures is that actually every coin is accounted for. So the files can't be transferred twice or duplicated because everybody on the network knows where every coin is. Now, the ledger is updated about every 10 minutes with a new, a new block of data, a new block of transaction history. Um, so that means that records are quite difficult to tamper with because each block is, is building on the previous one. Um, so I, I appreciate that's, that's quite complex to understand, particularly listening without, without sort of any visuals, but, but hopefully that gives you a bit of a flavor into, into how crypto works. You know, clearly it's very different from traditional currencies, you know, because really we only have estimates of how many pounds or dollars are in circulation. And of course, we've got both physical and digital currency. I think, Mark, it's ever, it's really, really clever technology, isn't it? And I suppose if I got a £10 note out of my purse, I wouldn't be able to track where that £10 note had been in its lifetime. So are you saying that with a cryptocurrency, then that is easy to track as to where that coin had been and its ownership, et cetera? Yeah, exactly. So, so the ownership, um, the IDs are public information. You know, the, the person behind the ID, uh, less so, which I'm so sure we'll come on to in a bit. But, you know, if you think of other assets like, um, say, property, you know, there's a LAM registry, which gives you, you know, a pretty good audit trail of, of what's happened to the property over the years, who's, who's, who's owned it, et cetera. But, you know, with the pound, the dollar, other physical currencies we have, it effectively all gets mixed up in the transaction process. And then, of course, you know, we've got fake banknotes in circulation. And, you know, there's other risks like having uh, rogue individuals that, that could easily amend records. So from this aspect, actually, blockchain um, solves quite a lot of issues. I'd say the coins themselves are, are, a, are a feature, really, of, of the technology. Yeah, it's amazing technology, isn't it? So Clearly, it's a very volatile. I mean, I've been watching the values go up and down, and it's uh, it's it's quite amazing how they can swing. So, so where do the valuations come in? Bitcoin is currently priced at around about thirty eight thousand sterling, fifty three thousand US dollars per coin. So, Stephen, can you explain a little bit about the price and the whole supply and demand scenario? Yeah, certainly. Certainly, in the beginning, it was. This concept was primarily backed by uh, computer engineers and IT professionals interested in cryptocurrency because they were fascinated by how the blockchain technology works. 
However, because of the gradual increase in activity, more media coverage, interest by professional investors, uh, the demand for cryptocurrencies has increased. Uh, by taking the example of Bitcoin, the supply will be capped at 21 million coins with about 8 million uh, currently in circulation. Uh, approximately 900 new coins are added to the circulation each day. However, because there are approximately 10,000 coins traded uh, every day, it's quite clear that the price movement is uh, as a result of supply and demand. So with current demand exceeding supply, the price is, is pushed up. Now, apart from the inherent risks involved uh, in investing in, in uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, what is termed as behavioral finance or herd mentality plays a big part in the desire by the retail investor to have a slice of the action, especially when they read news headlines reporting rapidly rising prices and not so much coverage on falling values or prices. It's, I, I have to say, it's normally at this stage, you might have, you know, you could say you've probably missed the boat and you won't see the same returns. Uh, and in, in, indeed, you may even experience financial losses. Bitcoin features are no longer unique in that there are many other cryptocurrencies out there doing the same thing now. Uh, so a, a cryptocurrency is just a file, as, as Matt has said, with a name that can be transferred between users in accordance uh, with, a, with those strict set of rules. And uh, if I knew enough about computer programming and blockchain technology, I could start my own cryptocurrency, but I don't. So turning to you, Matt, does cryptocurrency have any features similar to that of other asset classes, such as cash and gold? It does in some aspects. I'd say firstly, you know, the big thing about cryptocurrencies um, as, as sort of an asset is they don't generate any income. You know, when you think about property, of course, you can rent it out. Um, if you hold cash in the bank account, uh, you generate interest, equities, you know, shares, they'll pay dividends to the shareholders, and bonds will pay coupons for, for you loaning them money. Um, so unless you're you know, an, an active miner um, sort of generating these new coins, you can't really earn an income from simply holding cryptocurrency. Um, I'd also say they don't really have any exposure to economic growth. So what I mean by that is, you know, if the economy is doing well, people have more money to spend and therefore, you know, they've got more money to spend in particular companies, those companies' sales increase, the business grows, and therefore you can demand a higher price to sell that, that slice of the business on to other investors. But when you look at crypto, economic growth doesn't really have a direct direct impact. So for these reasons, yet yeah, you could argue that it is maybe similar to, to gold and it's just an asset that, that sits there um, and doesn't really do anything, more of a store of value. But the only way you're going to make money is by trading. So buying at a lower price and selling at a higher one. Now, I'd say a lot of people buy gold for its diversification features. Um, but 
you know, Bitcoin is very, very volatile, as, as you've just mentioned. You know, we see these massive swings in prices. So that certainly isn't going to decrease the volatility on your portfolio. It's probably going to do the opposite. It's also got really unstable uh, correlations. So what I mean by that is in a falling equity market, you'll see gold rally as a flight to safety. Um, but cryptocurrencies, you know, the prices are, are, are all over the place. Um, so it's, it's very, very um, sort of unpredictable, I suppose. I think that's a fair comment to say. I think, you know, the interesting thing is going to be the growth in its, in its application. Um, so we've actually seen retailers join these blockchain networks, uh, accepting other cryptocurrencies as a form of payment. Um, companies like Microsoft, AT&T, and now Tesla, you know, they've started uh, accepting Bitcoin as a, as a means of payment for cars from this week. You know, they purchased over a billion dollars worth of cryptocurrency um, recently. So, so, Matt, do you think that we'll see institutional investors entering this market? Interestingly, yes. Um, I think retail investors still make up um, a lot of the ownership base. But we are seeing a gradual shift towards more institutional investors. Um, we've seen companies set up trading desks, and we've also seen the launches of new collective um, products that you know effectively provide exposure to to the coins. Um, but if we just go back to comparing it to gold uh, and other commodities for a second, um, what I would say is those are limited resources. You know, cryptocurrencies are not. So we just go back to comparing it to gold and other commodities for a second. Um, these are limited resources. Um, cryptocurrencies are not. So I think for that reason, it's, you know, this is something new. Um, and I think for that reason, it's, it's very, very difficult to allocate uh, a sort of value uh, to, to cryptocurrencies. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's really interesting, Matt. And notably, Janet Yellen, the US Secretary of the Treasury and previously Chair of the Federal, Federal Reserve, recently commented that she didn't think cryptocurrencies were what would be widely used as a transaction mechanism. And in fact, they're more likely to be used for illicit, illicit activities and money laundering. So Stephen, what are your views on that? Uh, well, I think owing to its decentralized nature, uh, there is no government or central bank overseeing the supply of cryptocurrency uh, and no regulation in how it operates. So I, I doubt it's likely to be a favored transaction mechanism by any government in the short term. Uh, certainly if they do, then it would run contrary to the original idea of having a decentralized system but of course, time will tell. Uh, on the subject of illicit activity, uh, when you join the network directly, you are given a unique public ID address and a, a private key to access your coins. There is nothing to stop an individual having multiple ID addresses, though. Uh, and there is no regulations uh, about verifying an individual's identity or know your client compliance obligations. So from that perspective, it's likely to be a consideration for individuals participating in illicit activity. 
this could be transactions on the dark web or even used as a layer technique to launder traditional currencies. So the final subject I want to touch on is the environmental impact of these cryptocurrencies. And you wouldn't think initially that there was one, but there's all these computers whirring away to hold these wallets. And those computers are probably driven largely by fossil fuels. So we've heard a lot of concern from public figures that it's potentially damaging and inefficient. So Matt, what do you think about that? Yeah, I suppose because... Everybody on the network, um, as, I, as I explained earlier, effectively has to get an updated ledger. Um, like you said, really powerful computers are needed to distribute uh, the information to the network. And that process is called mining. So to participate in, in that, to be a miner, um, what you need to do is solve uh, complex mathematical problems uh, known as a proof of work for a block of transactions. And, you know, effectively, the first participant who solves each problem is, is given a reward, usually in the format of new crypto coins. Um, now, back in the, back in the early days, um, this could be done by a laptop, and then it moved to sort of powerful computers with, with graphics cards. And like you said, now, now these sort of factories are, are really taking shape um, around the world. Um, then, of course, you throw in the, the sort of reward for new coins for the quickest solution, and you're encouraging miners to adopt more powerful hardware to solve the puzzle more quickly. Now, I was reading recently that the energy used to mine Bitcoin alone, you know, excluding other cryptocurrencies, is estimated to be more than Argentina on an annual basis. Um, so I think that puts them something in the top 30, um, 30 countries in the world if, if Bitcoin was a country. Um, so most mining for that reason has to be done in particular environments like, you know, deserts of Chile. They use solar farms or in Iceland where it's really cheap to cool the equipment. I mean, certainly if you were mining in the UK using energy pumped straight from the grid, you would undoubtedly be losing money um, because of the cost of electricity. So I think, you know, with more industries likely to adopt blockchain technology in, in one format or another, whether it is sort of use of cryptocurrencies or, you know, just operating databases in, in this way, it does need to become more environmentally friendly. Because um, as a world, you know, we need to move towards decarbonization. And I think this could be one of the big stumbling blocks um, for the technology. So we'll wrap up there. And so in summary, cryptocurrency, I think anyway, is here to stay, although it has a long way to go if it's to create that level of trust to be viewed as sound money and the basis for a functioning economy. Investing is not for the faint-hearted. And remember, this area is not covered by the Financial Services Compensation Scheme and it is unregulated. So I'd like to thank Stephen and Matt for their engaging input. Remember, do let us know if there are any specific topics you'd like us to cover in the future. And in the meantime, as always, stay safe and well and keep smiling.